morning. Different. It's uh, good to be here today. Uh, maybe I've got everything in line. We have uh, one one announcement, two announcements, maybe. Uh, we're planning to have a going out to the uh, the pit out here on off the Yellowstone uh, to shoot practice shooting, have fun. Uh, the range time is 2.30, and it's out here at the end of Yellowstone, or I guess they changed it out there, too, to be the void. But, so it'd be a nice day, so, so we look forward to seeing you out there uh, at the gravel pit. And then we have special music. It'll be the adult choir, and they're going to sing, Jesus is Coming. Soon. Jesus is coming soon. Yeah. Well, we know he is coming. Oh, 
Christ is coming and soon. And we look at this world today and the condition that's in. As a kid, I can remember uh, listening to the, a little bit of the news, mostly relying a lot on my dad and the teachers and uh, friends of my family. But uh, as I got older, it seemed like things seemed to change. But today, I kind of wonder, how much do you believe? Who can you believe? What do you believe? I can listen to the alternative news and they, they tell you how really bad and rotten the uh, Democrats are. And then if you go to the mainstream news, you hear how bad and rotten the Republicans are. And then you find out we do so many things that it's just goofy what they're doing. And, you know, you have to wonder what is truth? And who do you rely on? I find that truth sometimes is depending on maybe your education or their education or their background, how they grew up. Uh, Maybe it's because they were told to say this or say that. Maybe it's a deliberate attempt to get you to think in a different direction. But it's not always that big of a problem because sometimes we try to tell the truth or we we say things and we try to do things that are right but I find that it might be because we don't have all the knowledge we don't understand everything or we've been fed the wrong information deliberately I think some of the alternative news things are being fed specifically things to sway you in a different direction. And I see that it's more of a deceptive problem out there. Not that you deliberately try to deceive somebody, because you might be really putting your heart into it and doing the right thing. But somewhere you didn't have all the background and all the knowledge of what was really happening. I've watched this series of the mentalists, and I gained some points out of that. Uh, most of the time people jump to a conclusion they see certain things and they jump to the conclusion that this is the answer but the, the guy that played the mentalist his part was he'd come in there he'd walk around he'd look at things he'd analyze them and try to find the facts because he wanted the facts and not what seemed to be right in in church now for many many years I can remember people telling us well you need to have an open mind well 
won't be true. And, and we do have to have an open mind to some things, but not always. So we have the thoughts, and you have to have a closed mind. Well, that's good, too, on some things. And some things you, you don't want to be a closed mind. You know, we can come here and have hear God's message read from the Scriptures. Can we close our mind to what's being said? Are we hearing the truth? Well, I remember when I first was called. I was not religious at all at that time. But I heard this uh, television man, I mean radio man say, Don't believe me. Believe the Bible. Then I heard others say, um, This is what the Bible says. But you read it in the Scripture and it doesn't say those things. So you have to have then a closed mind to somebody who is bringing you uh, the wrong message. And you have to have an open mind to God to let him teach you. I heard one sermon once that a fellow said, well, we don't want an open mind or a closed mind. We want to have a neutral mind. Well, that could be dangerous too. Although the aspect that he was bringing out was as a neutral mind, you will analyze what's being said. So in society today, you have to analyze everything and then go to the Scriptures because the only truth we know is God's Word. And we've been changing those things all through our lives as people. We try to do what's right, but we don't always do it. So... We have to be careful about being deceived. Who's telling the truth? What are we listening to? Deception or deceptive is someone to uh, to believe something that you want. They want you to believe something that is not true. Uh, typically, in order to gain some personal advantage. So we listen to the news, isn't that what we're hearing? We're hearing this person is the greatest. And I heard uh, on the internet yesterday they were talking about a man running for a governor. So here it is. He is really putting down the man that's the governor right now. So if you take what he said and say this that guy needs to be out. Ninety this one needs to be in problem is you really don't know what the person who is putting the other person down really thinks. So you you don't you can be deceived pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. So let's turn to Matthew four. We'll look at this uh, deception process that was going on. Matthew chapter four from beginning verse one. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up to the, in, of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So Christ had knew that the challenge was out there to him, and he fasted for 40 days. He had to get in the right mode. He had to be as close to the Father as possible. And when he had... Fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards 
it hungered. Well, that would be a mild statement, I think. Forty days and nights without eating or drinking, you're probably at just at that point of, of death. So he was, he had to get himself in that position and he had to be that close to the Father. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you be the Son of God, command these stones to be uh, made bread. Well, that was a, a challenge. That was a challenge to Christ. Are you going to, are you, uh, are you God? No, it's a deceptive process that was in line here. That Satan was trying to get Christ to challenge or to make an answer. But he answered, Christ answered, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Christ did not argue. Christ did not sit there and say, well, maybe so, maybe not, He didn't begin a conversation with Satan that would get him in trouble. Verse 5, And then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And Satan said to him, If you be the Son of God, notice what he does. This is the second time he said, If you will be the Son of God. He is putting doubt or trying to put doubt in Christ's mind. If you be the Son of God, cast yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge concerning you, and their hands shall bear you up, lest at any time you should dash your foot against the stones. Again, Christ did not argue with him. He didn't say, well, yeah, I am God. I am Christ. I am the Son of God. I have all this power. No, he didn't. What he, Christ said to the, to the devil was, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And, you know, that's something that Christ didn't... He could use the Scriptures, but he didn't argue with them. He pointed out what God had said. And again, the devil took him up in verse 8 to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And Satan said, All these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Christ said unto the devil, Get you hence, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So Christ was able to not argue. He didn't allow Satan to sway his thinking or because Christ knew that he was the Son of God. So even though Satan kept challenging him or trying to sway him, it didn't work. So I want to look at those three challenges. I think I I put that down one time as Three major deceitful challenges that all of us go through from time to time. And it seems like all of the deception will fall in some of these lines. So the first part, Christ was tempted by Satan. He said, 
And when, verse 3, back in chapter uh, 4, verse 3, and when the tempter came to him and said, If you be the Son of God, command these stones to be turned to bread. But Christ answered, You shall, it is written, man shall live by, not by bread only, but by every word of God. Christ was pointing back, not to physical life here. He said, if you will live, eternally live. We are temporary. But Christ said, if you're going to be eternal, if you're going to have eternal life, you don't live by food only. It's only a means to keep this body going. So, he was tempted to eating food. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, we read, And he humbled you, God, talking to Israel through Moses, Moses speaking to the people, and he humbled you and suffered you to, uh, to hunger and fed you with manna which you know not, neither could your fathers know, that you might make you known that man does not live by bread only. So even Israel was put in a point where they had to go to God to be fed. Here, God fed them with manna. And for us, God feeds us through the Scriptures. So, what we eat physically in our bodies is what we wind up being if we, uh, like I told my children, I wanted them to have good teeth. I wanted them to have healthy bodies. We gave them good food, basically good food, and we cut them off the sugar and stuff. And they all had pretty good lives. But if we uh, abuse our bodies, we eat the wrong things, uh, what happens? Well, we become sick. Today, it's very difficult because society is such that we've polluted everything we have. So we have to get the best we can. I remember Herbert Armstrong telling us that you, you do the best you can with what you can afford. Some people can afford uh, special foods. And others who are just barely able to make it have to take the best that they can get. And if you abuse your body physically, it will wind up, you will suffer. I know my father was a heavy smoker. And he was told he had a choice. He could quit smoking and live a little longer or keep smoking and die very soon. And he quit and lived another 10 years. My father-in-law lived to 70, but he abused his body so bad over the years. He was a welder in the Second World War. He smoked two to three packs of cigarettes a day, and he wound up with emphysema. And his last 10 years of his life was horrible. So, the same holds true. We have a society here that we overeat, we don't exercise. So the way we treat our bodies would put us in pretty sad shape. The same thing goes spiritually. What you bring into your body through your eyes, through your ears, through your nose, through your hands, 
all affects your body, spiritually and physically. So if we are willing to accept junk food into our bodies, our bodies will become junk bodies. That's what it'll wind up being. And if we allow the wrong things coming in, Satan can deceive you too. You know, you could get that same deception if we listen to all kinds of the open-minded person who listens to all the spiritual things that are out there, whatever religion it is, then you get confused because you don't know exactly what is right and what is wrong. So Herbert Armstrong taught me and the church that don't believe the person. If you're talking spiritually aspects, don't believe what people say. I've heard many times in services that the scripture says this and it didn't say this. It's it what was brought out was what the person conceived in his mind what the scripture said. And so a lot of people were led astray. Look at worldwide in the 90s. Well, after Herbert Armstrong died, um, there were a lot of things brought out that were not God's word. But people believed it because the person speaking had the authority or the position or the power in speaking that he convinced a lot of people. And one of the things he convinced them was that they didn't have to tithe, which didn't last very long because he was able to turn that around and say, well, we really need tithe because that supports us. But I knew a number of men that left God's word because of a paycheck. So what was true? What the person who had a background had been to college, he had the training. Um, even in, in, in regular college, the teacher, the professor, teaches his understanding of a, of a subject. And in, even in Ambassador College, they taught their understanding. And sometimes we carried that a little bit farther than the real understanding was. Uh, I know here, when I came to this understanding, uh, of course, I was looking at the calendar long before. Uh, I think I started looking at the calendar in 1994. And the teacher that we had did not agree with what I believed. But they taught what they felt was right. Take Passover. I kept Passover like everybody else because I believed the teacher. I did not read the scriptures all the way. I didn't do what Herbert Armstrong said. This is what you've got to do. You've got you to believe God's word. But I believed what I was taught by those that God had put into that position at that time. And I found that I kept the 15th Passover, or might be much observed on the 15th. When I went through it here and we read it 
Because at least here, like Daryl brought out the other day, we cover the scriptures. We don't cover our thoughts, our beliefs. We cover the scriptures. So the scriptures said that you keep uh, uh, you keep unleavened bread up unto the twenty first, not on the twenty first. And I had read that years ago, but I didn't put it together. I didn't put it together that Passover was the most holy day. But thankfully, by following God's word, now I'm not going to be led astray. I don't care who comes up. They cannot dis- If they can disprove it then by Scripture, then I've made it unbelievable. But I was told you can't have back-to-back Sabbath in the fall. I can't find it in the Bible. And they can't show it to me. So, I'm not going to allow the food, the spiritual food coming into my mind to deceive me in the wrong way. So, yes, I have to have an open mind. And I did. And I saw the truth. But I also have to close my mind to things that are contrary. So, the first major point that we learned from Christ was that you have to eat God's Word. Don't allow somebody or some circumstances to sway you in the wrong direction for what you eat. So be careful. Whether, wherever it is, whether it be on the news, because you can't trust all of that. You really don't know what what's really out there. You have to see the facts. So you'd be like the mentalist. You analyze what's happening. And if it's right, if it's facts, and not forged facts, because we can be just about anything on TV now. We have that that uh, capability in technology to even make you think that the Statue of Liberty disappears. And I've seen, I've seen their advertisements. I don't believe them, but they, they can cloud your mind to the truth. So we are to live by every word of God. Ephesians 6.17 says, Take heed, uh, or rather, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. So we're told to take God's Word, the sword, which is God's Word. It, it'll pierce clean through the, the whole body, the whole depth of your body. In Romans 15, verse 4, Romans 15, 4, says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. So, Go to the scriptures. It says, for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So your hope is how much you read. Do you read the scriptures? Do you put your time in every day? Is that, and I remember back when I first came in, that's basically what I was doing. I was putting my time in, whether I 
was reading everything and comprehending everything, or maybe I was being swayed the wrong way. But it's not putting my time in. This is a way of life. This is not uh, an hour of Bible study today, an hour of prayer, or 15 minutes of prayer, or what. It is a way of life. It means that everything I do, every place I go, it has to be godly. And it takes a lot of study. It takes a lot of study. It's easy to find other things to do than to study God's Word. It really is easy. The Bible was written by, for us, by individuals that God moves. I think that's uh, Peter, First Peter, uh, chapter 1, the last few verses, says that those that wrote the Scriptures were holy men, and they wrote what God directed them to write. When you understand that, then when you read the Scriptures, you know, it's not just a man who wrote those things. It was God impressing in their mind, and whether it was Moses or David or Solomon or Noah, all those men, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, what they wrote was what God wanted put down. Now, we don't have everything. I mean, the Bible is, is an instruction book. I remember Armstrong, Herbert Armstrong saying that all the time. It's the instruction book. If you are building an a instrument in electronics, you give a, a booklet that tells you how it's supposed to work. Then that's what we have the Bible for. It tells us how we're supposed to work. Today, we say don't believe the Bible. Well, that's a deception. If you want to be a part of the family of God, then you better not allow it to be deceived. Let them to deceive you. Okay. Does this make, you know, when I look out there, I put down here, when you look at what's happened in society, and in First uh, Corinthians ten eleven says, and now these things happen unto them for examples that they are written for our admiration, and upon these, upon those who the ends of the world come. So the Bible was written specifically for the last era. Well, it was written for the time then, but it's mostly written for the last age, a time when deception is the biggest thing. They try to deceive you about everything. You know, you, you don't, you're not a girl anymore. You're a boy, if you want to be. You're not a boy anymore. You're a girl, if that's what you want to be. I mean, and guys can have babies. That's a new one, but that's what they teach. It can't happen, but we live in a society today that we're like the Laodiceans. We, uh, we believe we have all the answers, and we don't need any more. So why go into the Bible? So much of the church is that way. I, I know that there are 
men and organizations that are teaching the best they can with what they have. But they they are also in that same position as Laodicea. Well, I've been in the church. I have all this stuff. I don't need any more teaching. But I know I do. And I'm sure that all of us, there is so much that I still don't understand. Because everything's new. And, and as God opens it up to us. Anyway, the second point then. The second great deception. The first is what we allow us, our bodies, to absorb physically and spiritually. And Satan is really out there. He is trying his best to deceive you spiritually. He doesn't want you to be a part of the family of God. So that's the first major point. Is spiritual what you bring into your body, what you allow your body to absorb. And you have to be very careful and you have to stay as close to God as possible. So point two then is do you trust God? That was a big thing for Satan. He said to Christ, uh, jump off this cliff or off this pinnacle and don't worry about it because you know if you are God's child he will protect you so Satan was tempting Christ to challenge God and sometimes we do that sometimes we challenge God uh, on a lot of things that we do 1 Corinthians 10, 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians 10, 9 and 10. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of the serpent. And neither murmur, as uh, some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. So here, Paul was talking about Israel. They tempted Christ on a lot of things. And he destroyed them. God didn't allow and doesn't allow us to tempt him and get get away with it. You'll pay the penalty. In Hebrews 3, Hebrews 3, verse 8, Paul again speaking to the people at that time and speaking to us today. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation and the day of the temptation in the wilderness. These people in the wilderness, you know, every time it seemed to be a little bit rough, they just became, they they challenged God. You know, they challenged Him for bringing them out there. Why did you bring us out here? To kill us? I mean, that's, that's a challenge to God. And when your fathers tempted me and provoked me and saw my works for 40 years, for 40 years he worked with those people, but they constantly didn't trust God. They challenged him on everything. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their hearts and they have 
not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. He was going to give them the land and take care of them. But they didn't trust God. They trusted their own thoughts. Remember when Moses went up on the mountain? First, God spoke to them, gave them the commandments. They heard God speak. It was frightening to them. And they said, look, Moses, uh, you talk to God, and then you tell us what God said. And so Moses goes up on the mountain, and what did they do? Ah, Moses left us here. So let's let's uh, make make God's notices. This to me is silliness to say I'm going to fashion something out of gold or silver or wood or plastic or whatever, and say that that now is my teacher or my leader or my protector. But that's what they did, and God got angry with those people, and He said. I won't give you the property. And they, all those that were over 20 years old died. They did not go into the promised land that God had promised to them. Look in Psalm 78, verse 18. Psalm 78, 18. And they tempted God into the hearts by asking meat for our lusts. So one of their temptations, one of their trusts to God was Give us meat, because we're starving to death. In Psalm 78, verse 41, says, Yes, turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. So they tempted God by limiting Him. They didn't trust God. Christ, when He was tempted by Satan, He didn't come back and say, Well, you didn't feed me. Or you didn't do this for me or that for me. He just said, you don't tempt God. You know, you got to get the facts. And so often, those things will come to us in one way or another. We could be tempted in many different things. We could be tempted at our job. You know, well, you either work uh, on this holy day that you call a holy day or you're fired. Well, maybe it's a temptation between husband and wife or children. Maybe your children tempt you to do things. It's, do we tempt each other? Satan is always out there. He is the enemy. And Satan will cause us to tempt each other. So, we can't allow our attitude or our knowledge or our lack of faith or trust Pull us away from what is right. So the second one is, how do I live my life on a daily basis? Do I really trust God's words? You know, we're told in the scriptures that we're going to build a temple. There's 25 of us. Now, how are we going to build that temple? Maybe we can say, well, uh, we're not going to be able to do that. So do we trust God that He says you're going to do that? Are we really understanding that it's going to take a lot more help than what we have here? 
And do you pray to God and say, you know, Father, I understand these things. We need help. Can you, when can we get the help, maybe? Well, we need help and we want to do our part, but we need help. We need help in helping each other and help in preparing and help with our knowledge that we can be the leaders and help others to help do the work. Then the part third point then, which is probably a very big, huge point. Who do you worship? Your car? Your house? Your job? Your money? Your friends? Your family? So what with Christ, Satan came to Christ and said, if you will do what I say, if you will follow me, then I will give you everything. Well, he couldn't give him everything. The one thing that Satan cannot give is eternal life. No matter what he might say, he can't give you eternal life. And if he will follow his directions, and those things happen to us constantly. Things come up in front of us that what we put as the most important part of our life. Say, Christ said to Satan, get behind me. One of my, one of Charnel's big points was when somebody came up and was bringing the wrong thing to her was, get behind me, Satan. That was said to the disciples. Remember Christ talking to Peter and and Peter took Christ aside. I've got that down. But Christ, and I'll give you the, the scripture here in a little bit. It, Christ, Peter took him aside. I think it's in yeah, Matthew 16, verse 22 and 23, where Christ was saying certain things. And Peter said, or Peter took, this is from the New Living Translation, Peter took Christ aside and corrected Christ, saying, Heaven forbid, Lord, this shall never happen to you, because Christ was telling about his death and resurrection, and he was going to be beaten. And, and so Peter took him aside and said, you, can't, you know, he corrected Christ. Then Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are, you are a dangerous trap to me. When we take and try to get... Uh, here Peter was trying to get Christ to say, I am God, I can do this, I don't know all these things, I can get by with all that. He said, you are a dangerous trap to me. You see things merely from a human point of view and not from God's point of view. So Christ is saying, it is not my will, but the Father's will. Remember when he himself was praying just prior to them taking him off and beating him and killing him and praying to the Father, he said, I don't want to go through this, but not my will, but your will. 
So Christ, even here with Peter, when Peter challenged him, Peter was correcting him, you know, you're, you're, you're God. You're, you're, you're going to be in charge of everything. And, uh, Christ said, you don't know what you're talking about. You can only look at what's happening around because you see it physically and not spiritually. We cannot let Satan get an advantage over us. And that's very difficult in our life. Satan is the master deceiver. There is, he is the greatest. He knows every trick of the trade. And you have to be very careful in your life that you don't allow Satan to get the advantage of you. Christ didn't let him get an advantage. He just said, you, you live by God's word. You don't tempt God. And you don't worship another God. So Christ was never, had never allowed Satan to get the advantage of him. In James 4, verse 7, James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So if we resist the temptations that are thrown at us, Satan will leave us alone. But if we're willing to have a, a conversation with him, or to chide with him, or whatever, then he'll get the advantage of you. In the New King James, uh, uh, the New Living Translation, in 1 Peter 5, 6-9, 1 Peter 5, 6-9 says, in the New Living Translation, so, Humble yourselves, therefore, to the mighty hand of God, and in his good time he will honor you. So humble yourself, he's saying, and God will give you honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about what happens to you. So we have to put God first in our life, and he cares what will be with us. Verse 8. Be careful. Watch out for attacks from the devil. Your great enemy, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone, some victim to devour. So he's ready to, he's wanting to do, take you out. And he knows what your weaknesses are. And you've got to make your weaknesses strong with Christ and with the Father. Take firm stand against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that uh, your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering. You're not alone in this. You're not alone. We can't let our weaknesses get the advantage and take us down. In Ephesians 4, and we'll conclude with this. In Ephesians 4, we're in the start the conclusion. In Ephesians 4, verse 14, that we henceforth no more be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every word of doctrine. There are changes out there. You have to be careful. You have to have an open mind and a closed mind because there are doctrinal changes out there that 
are not true. Is it? You have to read the scriptures and follow what God says. By the sleight of men's hand, cunning, cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive you. There are people that would like to, and that's Satan working through them to destroy you. We have to be on guard every day. The only way you do that is not, I have an hour of prayer, or I have a, a 15, 20 minutes of, of, um, of a Bible study. You have to pray always. And you have to think compared to God and what he has to say. The three big main points then on deception are what we allow in our minds and our lives, physically and spiritually. Those are really important areas. In Second Timothy 2, verses 15 through 18 says, to study, to show yourself approved. It's, it's a constant process. If you're going to college and working for a specific degree, you have to really put the time and effort in it. If you're going to be a athlete, you put hours and hours and hours and hours. That's your life working. If you're going to be a musical instrument player, a singer, or a job in anything, you put everything into it to be the professional. The same holds true. If you're going to be a bride of Christ, a part of the family of God, he says to study, to show yourself approved. A workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That takes a lot of study. Not one hour a day, not 15 minutes here or there, but it's an all-time process. You have to think about God and think about God's way and think what God wants you to do. But some profane and vain babblings. So you've got to have a closed mind. So you have an open mind to God and a closed mind to the profane and vain babblings, for they will increase into more ungodliness. That's why you want to close that off. And their words will eat as does a canker, of whom is, Paul put it here, Hamanus and Phyllis. So there were two people in Paul's life that were teaching the wrong things. So we don't allow people who are not really in the right frame of mind or having the right thoughts or having the same put on the same page that we're on come in because they will sway too many people the wrong direction. Who concerning the truth have erred saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow faith of some. So maybe it wasn't just the resurrection, but today it could be well we're not really gonna build a temple. Or maybe it is maybe it's that's a, a false doctrine. You've got to be very, very careful as you watch what you allow to come into your mind. So we have to have an open mind and a closed mind. The second point was putting the trust in God. You know, we test God on a lot of things. That could be we...
try to lure people the wrong direction. Or we bait, we, we manufacture something that looks good. It's like a, you put a worm on a fish hook to attract the fish to catch them. So all those things are, are something we have to be very careful about. These things that we attract or we tempt God with, we tempt ourselves. It could be self-deception that could bring us down too. We might think we are the greatest. We have the most knowledge. We are the um, best in this field um, and different things like on that area. So we can't put, uh, we can't trust, put the trust of God or tempt God or try to decoy uh, God in some way. And the final point is, who do you, who do you put, or what do you put first and foremost in your life? Is it God's Word? Is it God? Or is it your job? Your family? Well, what is the most important thing for you? Christ was tempted with, I will give you everything. And so we see they have a $15 million lottery. Do we go out there and try to get that lottery? For us, it's a eternal life. Bride of Christ. It's who is the most important or what is most important to you. We can do a lot of things in our life. But sometimes we can fall and slip. So what is important? Or do you understand and realize that Satan is the deceiver? Everything that comes to us is going to fall in one of those three categories. It's either going to be uh, what you put in your body, food, physical, spiritual, music can be destructive to you, um, many other things. Do we find things that we can tempt God with? You know, well, you said, God, you said to me you would uh, heal me. And so you get anointed to we then say, well, you know, God, you said that, but you didn't do it. Why aren't you doing it? Are we tempting God to, to allow us to go the wrong direction? And finally, what's the most important thing in your life? Is it this life? And, and a lot of people have figured that this life is more important than to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so they will do everything possible to keep this physical body going financially and physically as they can. So it depends. It's important to be, as was said, I would rather, I think David said it, I would rather be the doorkeeper in God's house than anything else. He wanted to be there. He wanted to be a part of God's family. Is that important? So...
It's just something to think about. There are three factors in your life that you're going to be challenged with. Are you going to approach it and say, get behind me, Satan, because what you're showing me is not what I really want, what I really want. 